Podcasting from Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio. This is a special Thanksgiving weekend episode of Tackling the Chicane. Back in the confines of Studio 2520. It's been a long time. Took us a few minutes to get situated here. Yeah, still (laughs) trying to work out some of the the kinks of being in the the studio again. But uh, yeah, always good to be live in studio as opposed to through a computer screen just can't really beat the magic of face-to-face interaction yeah well i i suppose it's probably been summertime right yeah i don't actually remember well no because you were in you were in westerville this summer so yeah i may have even been before that before that yeah i don't i don't remember last time i was actually here to to do a show but Regardless, it, it's always fun to be here. And speaking of magic, I think there was plenty of magic to go around in the on the strip of Las Vegas this past weekend. Uh, obviously, uh, with the international break in soccer, and then uh, of course with pretty much the most highly anticipated. Uh, event in the calendar for F1 this season that's we're going to spend pretty much all of our time today Uh, and then we'll definitely be back uh, with some soccer action next week and also um, the final race of the F1 calendar as well so a lot to get into but well I I don't know exactly where you want to start but maybe just a, a, a generalization of the weekend as a whole yeah so i tried to watch this i tried to watch as much coverage of this race as possible um and i was pretty successful at at catching most of the pre-practice post-practice pre-qual post-qual etc i was just trying to to get as much feeling for how this was going as possible um Overall, I think it was a, a huge success as far as the race goes. Uh, probably the best racing that we've seen this year, um, except for Silverstone, and and this surpassed Silverstone as far as number of position changes. I think just competitiveness mm-hmm. <laughs> as yeah. a whole. Um, so hopefully that will continue you know, as a tradition for this race, once, once a race gets known for being super competitive, it usually popularizes that particular weekend. Mm -hmm. With that being said, I think F1 and and Vegas might've shot their wad a little bit as far as we heard. And I don't know how much of this is true that, you know, they found out pretty quickly that most people weren't going to be willing to, to pay what they were asking <laughs> to sit yeah. and watch a race. 
which was in the thousands of dollars. Uh, we heard anything from 2,500 and up. I also heard that at the time of the race, you know, they had to discount a lot of the tickets to the sub thousand dollar range simply because mm-hmm. they weren't selling. Um, but they'll work that out. I mean, it was a $560 million spend for the city and I don't have no clue or I have no clue how much it cost F1, you know, to put, put their portion of it on. But yeah. Um, um I, I know the, the big, majority of that money spent was on the the paddock and the the sort of f1 center that they built in the strip so obviously there's a huge amount of investment going on in las vegas which um despite what you know some of the struggles that there were in the weekend it it does pretty much uh look like they'll be running there for a while uh unless things go really poorly but i think i think this year honestly is probably the worst it will go or could go necessarily because um i guess you know right off the rip uh eight minutes into the first practice session we had some issues with the the track itself where basically carlos Sainz ran over a a manhole cover that Basically, the downforce of the car was so strong that it sucked it up and pretty much uh, destroyed the the bottom of his car. And you know, part of me thinks maybe if that happens in FP two or even just kind of deep into FP one, it's not as big of a deal. But it wasn't. It was a less than ideal start. Eight minutes into the Vegas weekend. Well. We'll talk a little bit about the penalty that incurred that he incurred because of changing basically to a brand new chassis. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know the the pundits immediately within seconds were all over. Um, you know, saying, what, "Is this a debacle already? And is it going to be a huge failure? And how can you not? How can you overlook something? You know, as simple as." as making sure that the track is correct and secure. Um, there was a great press conference. I saw it. I think I saw it on social media, not on the F1 app, but um, they had random guys, and Toto Wolf was one of them. And, yeah. and one of the reporters must have asked the question about, is this a black eye for the series? <laughs> and he just he went completely nuts, and yeah. as he should have. You know, he's like, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, this has happened at other street circuits. It's not the first time this exact thing has, has happened. Um, he, basically his point is, look, the United States has made this series more popular than it's ever been in 60 some years of F1 racing, you know, and basically, you know, what Vegas did to put this race together and. It was just a dumb question, but I thought it was entertaining that, that he was kind of, you know, backing up the city and the circuit. And as far as the actual incident goes, um, you know, when you've got 3.8 miles or however long this track was, it was pretty long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, things happen. 
and that yeah, it was a freak thing. It was one valve cover, water main valve cover, so not quite the size of a regular manhole. Probably, I heard it was eight to ten inches in diameter. Um, regardless, uh, the the bad thing that came out of it is is that he should not have been penalized at all. Yeah, that's where I kind of see it a bit more as a, maybe not a debacle but it is a it, it is a sort of a black cloud over the weekend as a whole because for there to be some sort of failure in the track within eight minutes obviously isn't a good look even if it is sort of a freak thing but y- you make it even worse it's all about the reaction to that incident from f1 and you know if they said okay well this is kind of a freak accident, we've got our crews working on it, it's not going to happen again, and you move on, okay, so be it. Things happen. But to be so tied down to your rule book that you can't make an exception where Carlos Sainz did nothing wrong and he is penalized 10 spots on the grid for basically rebuilding his car, that's ridiculous to me. Well, I... it when when damage to a chassis or one of the cars is caused by a failure in the infrastructure, there should be there should be no penalties. Yeah. I don't care if if it was a brand new chassis. You know, there's stupid part ferme rules where they can't touch the car after a certain point and blah 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 blah. There just isn't any reason that they should have penalized him at all. The, the, the entire scope of the damage was due to that cover coming off the street and yeah. basically bouncing around the underside of the car like a giant hockey puck. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, when, when we first saw him, it, initially no one knew what, what it was. And then they thought maybe it was a suspension failure because the car kind of bottomed out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, people, it didn't take very long for everybody to realize what had happened. But I agree. And hopefully Ferrari had some very uh, strong conversation with the FIA about about this particular incident. I hope they did. Well, I hope they basically told him to fuck off. I, but. <laughs> I, I think that's pretty much what happened because I just saw yesterday, I think, on the F1 Reddit that Toto Wolf and Fred Vasseur, both uh, team principals for Mercedes and Ferrari, uh, I, I think they incurred some sort of official warning from F1 for their comments to the media, basically. Um, and... Obviously, I think Vasseur was pretty well to uh, maybe say some things that weren't all rosy and hyping up F- F1 and the Vegas GP after after that sort of clown show from race control and the stewards and whatnot. Um, Total Wolf has always been kind of loose-lipped with stuff, so I'm not really surprised by that. Um, but I guess maybe that kind of segues into the next thing here, which I think is interesting to bring up because when we're talking about comments to the media, I don't think anyone made themselves um, more 
apparent to what they they thought about the weekend than Max Verstappen, and you know with his comments in the media pretty much the whole weekend, um, where basically he made it very clear he wasn't particularly thrilled with what was being asked of the drivers outside of the racing part of the weekend. And, you know, I guess for you, where do you fall in terms of was the Las Vegas GP too much spectacle? Was it enough? I don't know. Well, I don't know to what degree they were asked, what they were actually asked to do. I'm assuming there was a lot of appearance type things that they were asked to do mm-hmm. <laughs> um part of me is of the opinion i don't care what motor what form of motorsport it is is um you're making hundreds of millions of dollars and being paid to represent red bull you should do whatever they ask you to do if that means you have to go to five different hotels and sit on the stage and answer questions or sign autographs or whatever that's just part of the gig and this isn't the first time that these guys have belly ached about this mm-hmm. usually it's not in usually it, it's referring to any gp in the united states so look the fact of the matter is is that we know that europeans can be a little bit smug <laughs> versus americans and they You know, I watch a lot of, of, I watch a lot of Top Gear, which is a Eurocentric show. Yeah. And it's just a dig. There's always a dig, you know, everybody always makes fun of the U.S. And, um, these guys, I think they're a little bit oversensitive as far as that goes. Um, now with that being said, we could back off of some of the stupid, stupid things that we do, um, you know. Miami is a perfect example. They should not be wearing football helmets on the podium. Yeah. That's completely stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, this One of the dumber things that they had to do during this race is get into a limousine <laughs> after the checkered flag flew and drive essentially for like three or four minutes <laughs> over to the Bellagio Fountains so that they could be interviewed not given trophies, yeah. but just interviewed in front of the fountain. And then obviously they had some kind of choreographed fountain show that they all three had to stand there and pretend like they wanted to watch. Yeah, that <laughs> that's where it's like, we're, this is really, really stupid. Just objectively speaking, like, right. no it, one is here for yeah, that. We don't need to try that hard. Just the spectacle in the backdrop that is Las Vegas is plenty. Mm-hmm. And the commentators almost ad nauseum <laughs> talking about that. It was enough. They don't need to do all of the fanfare-ish, like, I don't know, that limousine thing was just totally dumb. I think maybe they might have learned a lesson from that because clearly the drivers don't give a crap about <laughs> Bellagio or the fountain yeah. show or... <laughs> whatever I, I, I think at that point after you run a race and it's uh i don't know midnight local time maybe they were more concerned about uh what they were gonna have to eat and maybe uh sleep or something but uh yeah i just felt that was probably a bit too much for me 
Um, and then I guess sort of the last thing before we can really dive into the actual racing. I'm wondering if, are we going to see the Vegas GP continue to be a night event or not even a night event, a middle of the night event, local time, and then obviously here on the east, uh, you know, in, in the wee hours of the night, because that's fine, but you can't do that in November in Las Vegas. It's too cold. The tires, this entire race, never got up to proper temperature, which I think led to a lot of the interesting racing. I, I'm not really sure how much we can credit the track yet, um, but why are we running in Las Vegas in 45-degree weather in November in the middle of the night? Well, that's – that's we've talked – we talked about this offline a little bit. It has to be because of the rest of the world. Because mm-hmm. it – from the beginning, it didn't make sense to me um, – whether, you know, at first I thought, well, maybe they're doing this because it can't be 115 degrees either, but we run in other arid climates where it's in the 90s at yeah, least. And it, it's <laughs> not even that in Vegas in late November. No, this yeah. was clearly a global time slot issue, I think. Probably. Um, I don't know if that'll change in the future i guess we'll see Mm -hmm. they don't even if they put the schedule out for next year they don't do any of they don't go down to the start times until like a week or so before the actual race that i know of yeah you don't really hear about the start times until you get a little bit closer but I, i that one just never really made sense to me um and i i honestly kind of hope if that's the one thing they change, that's what it should be because it, the race shouldn't be starting at 10 p.m. local time. Or if you're going to do it again, it shouldn't be in November. But Yeah, well, I think I don't think it's going to – they're going to change it calendar-wise. I think it's always going to be in that November time slot. Um. Now, whether or not they'll take into consideration what they learned from these start times, uh, maybe we'll see something a little bit more reasonable Mm -hmm. as far as, like, I don't care if you do it in the evening or, like, in the 5 p.m. or 7 p.m. or whatever. Um, I also think that there was a lot of behind-the-scenes logistics happening because the county of Las Vegas required that certain portions of the track be reopened on a daily basis so that traffic could flow. Yeah. Um, and I'm certain that, you know, in a city that's 24 seven, they, I think they targeted the times for the least amount of physical activity in the city of Las Vegas and County of Las Vegas. I, I, I honestly think that, um, you know, four in the morning, <laughs> two in the morning. Um, it would have been interesting to to see people 
who were not there for the race, uh, what their feelings were. I mean, if you were staying at like Caesar's Palace or the Paris or any of those hotels that were on that front straight, <laughs> and I mean, these things are are flying by your hotel at four in the morning for for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been interesting to kind of see how how that played out, but yeah. I think overall it was an 8 out of 10 um for effort and the racing was the best we've seen all year. Um just you know a little less cheesiness and I think this will end up being one of the more important races on the calendar hopefully. Yeah. So. I I think it would have been even more interesting had there been some t- sort of title battle on the line and I think it actually really would have been interesting because there were four or five lead changes so i don't know i can definitely see that happening but i think we can definitely get into the the on track action here now um of which there was plenty and we had uh pretty much f1's favorite recurring uh event right away which is uh charles leclerc on pole max verstappen wins yeah, I just, uh, you know, Sargent had a really good up-to-race weekend and started sixth. That's probably the highest pole or grid yeah, position that he's had all year. I'm <laughs> pretty sure it is. Yeah. Um, didn't really work out in the end, but he was he was strong there for the opening few laps, it seemed like. Uh, but I had that. And then lap one, turn one. You know, lots of contact. I think we had at least four or five cars that were involved in in that. So that brings the first controversy. And I'll just say it because this was absolutely stupid from race control and the stewards. Max Verstappen drove Leclerc off the track. We just watched the highlights, and you can see his hands. They do not turn left enough for what that corner required and that was on purpose he should have been told immediately to give the place back and instead they delineated for 10 laps and then he got a five second penalty which for Verstappen is less than a slap on the wrist um yeah I mean I don't I don't disagree I thought I thought it was uh I have the same feeling that you know it's clear that he forced Leclerc off the track. Um, as far as the five-second penalty goes, it, I I felt this entire race that he this is going to be the one mm-hmm. where he can't make up the time or, you know, there was there was some points in, during the race where he was three or four seconds behind, and then I was like, well, he's got a five-second penalty on top of that, and then he kind of dusted around back and forth but yeah i part of me up until the final laps of this race thought that this might be the one where he can't make up the the deficit yeah there was a really interesting thing going on with tire wear in this one and i think a lot of it was just because no team really knew what was going to happen with the tires and we saw through pretty much through like lap 37 um when verstappen passes for the lead that Leclerc was actually managing his tires a lot better than Verstappen was. And that was one of the reasons why, up until that point, I really did feel like Leclerc had a 
really good chance of winning this thing because we saw through there that he was managing his tires a lot better than Verstappen. And I, and I, for once, I thought Ferrari had nailed the strategy. Um, basically, they knew if Verstappen would have to pit and that if Leclerc could stay out and manage those hards longer, that, you know, he could be in a really good position to, to win. Of course, that, that needed the race to stay green, which it didn't. Um, but I, I was, yeah, this, since Singapore, this is like, okay, I think, uh, actually we might see someone else win, which is a rarity this season. Yeah. I mean, this, these were on the soft spectrum of, you know, we have C1 through C5 mm-hmm. available. I, I don't remember if this was five, four, three or four, three, two, but they were on the softer spectrum. Yeah. So that, you know, basically all that is, is less laps, but I think the cold weather lended to maybe getting more laps out of these soft, softer tires than usual, Mm -hmm. just because they never got up to temperature and everybody knows that hot tires wear faster than cold ones typically, I think. So, um, not a good race for McLaren, at least not for Lando Norris, who Lap three hits the the wall uh, really hard and then ends up in the runoff barrier. Don't really recall what the outcome of that was. I think it was just a mistake, like he yeah. lost traction or something. I don't think it was a failure. Yeah, and that was at the point of the race where, as myself watching live, I I wasn't really sure uh, how this race was going to go in terms of it, it, are we just going to see this where guys are, you know, wrecking into the wall every few laps and we're going to be behind the safety car the whole time and luckily it wasn't that but um yeah with with Norris I'm not really entirely sure what happened I think it was yeah just pretty much driver error there but it was a pretty tough hit into the wall that was a safety car for three laps while they cleaned that up they went green on lap six and then you know Max does what Max does, and within a half a lap, he's two and a half seconds ahead of the next guy. But that's when they throw down the five-second penalty, which I was like, well, okay, he's got to really make up some ground if he if that if that five-second penalty is going to get negated. And he never really got to that point where he made up enough time. Yeah. Um, lap 16... Uh, Leclerc and Max back and forth, kind of really good position swapping, which Mm -hmm. that was the most fun thing about this race is not only the overtaking, but many times it was a back and forth within, you know, a couple of turns where Mm -hmm. Leclerc would pass Verstappen, Verstappen would take the spot back and, and so on. So that was relatively entertaining i guess um uh looks like that's when verstappen takes the five second penalty around that same time i think that's what i have written down here anyhow yeah um leclerc to the lead perez the second um i don't know and then russell the the mercedes car 
made it to fourth place around lap 24, and then they had a bad luck weekend too, really. <laughs> yeah, they weren't very good. I know uh, Hamilton was involved in some some contact with Piastri, I believe, where he had a puncture and was kind of limping around for a while. He actually finishes seventh, which is okay considering the contact. Um, you can tell what kind of race weekend Lewis Hamilton has based on radio silence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when he's talkative, it's usually a better day. Uh, I think I heard maybe two things from him the entire race, which means yeah. he didn't have anything to say. The, we're at the point, obviously, we're at the point because there's one race left, but there are a few teams that I think have sort of just checked out for the season. And honestly, it kind of feels like Mercedes are, are there with this car. They know it's pretty much a, a turd for them. So, of course, they'll actually have a, a very close battle with Ferrari for P2 in the last race, but still. Uh, you would kind of favor Ferrari at this point in the season. Um, and then I I think what kind of went under the radar is there were quite a few good recovery drives in this one. For example, Lance Stroll. I believe he went P19 to P5 in this race, and that wasn't a huge talking point just because of how it uh interesting the front of the race was but uh i i have been a pretty big critic of his and he did have a pretty terrible run of races in the middle of the season but seems like i don't know you never really know but he is in good form right now so well aston martin may be one to watch next year they've improved quite a bit over the course of this year Especially, you know, Stroll under Alonzo's tutelage. This is a different driver. I mean, he was unwatchable (laughs) last year before 2023. He was as bad as Sargent, if not worse. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But he's really improved, obviously. Um, Yeah, so we don't get enough color when a guy makes up 14 positions like that because, you know, the commentators are too busy (laughs) talking about the top three positions which in this race they needed to yeah it was deserved this race but unfortunately it did kind of uh take away from some good drives like signs went from 12th to 6th so that was another good one there um i was pretty disappointed with williams i was kind of hoping they could hold on to some points but it it just seems like they don't really have a car that can kind of go all the way this year um and you know 12th and 16th to finish yeah it's a pretty disappointing day for them but obviously there is talent there and i i do think and i texted you this but i actually do think sergeant is safe now uh he's kind of he's finishing races which he wasn't doing and he's qualifying better so i i do think he's actually safe at least for the beginning of next year but we'll see he, he will need to improve yeah i don't i don't know i i don't think there's going to be the shake-up that was potentially could have happened three or four races ago yeah perez is not going anywhere i mean he led this race <laughs> he was in the top three 
he had a good drive. I thought maybe if he continued to perform as poorly as he did in the last quarter of the season that maybe they would give him the boot and give Ricardo his seat, and then that would open up a seat at AlphaTauri. And that would probably go to, I can't remember, it's the blonde kid. Liam Lawson. Yeah, which that may happen anyhow. I don't know. It's hard to say. I, but yeah. I don't I, think anybody's going anywhere in the big three. No. No, uh, I think it's pretty much set. And honestly, the grid is basically set at this point. Um, I, I'm i not really sure where any moves would be made at the moment. I think you'll see the same grid minus maybe one person uh, for next year. Um, and then after that is when you're going to get that huge shakeup because there will be so many drivers out of contract. Um, but, yeah, why don't we continue running through some events here? Yeah, well, I mean, we can, we can kind of – Leclerc actually takes the lead around lap. 35 I think uh from Perez yeah from Perez and that Uh, that came after here comes the cat that came after the contact between Verstappen and Russell and at that point when I'm watching I said I really was like okay that how is Verstappen gonna come back in this race with actual damage to his wing. Well, and it didn't seem to affect the car at all. No. Um, Russell ended ended up getting the penalty for that, and that was another incident where I'm not sure that it was Russell's fault. It looked a lot like the lap one incident where Verstappen, Verstappen just just pushed him out of the way. It I, didn't look like he turned in on Max on Verstappen, but no. Again, so he gets the five-second penalty, and here's what I can't figure out from a physics and a mechanical standpoint is we've seen much, much lighter contact than that particular incident destroy an entire car's day, like retire retire the car. Mm -hmm. It seems like the Red Bull car can sustain massive (laughs) wing damage on that particular incident in that particular incident, and then it didn't seem to affect, have any effect on the car at all. So, yeah, the, this this machine is so far ahead of everyone else that it can sustain damage and be fine. Basically. That could be. Um, yeah, I didn't understand that, and it actually really, really pissed me off. Because well, as I said, we've seen much lighter contact retire a car, yeah, and this didn't seem to have any effect whatsoever. They didn't talk about it. No. They didn't even tell him that he needed to do something different. You know, I think there was one transmission, radio transmission, where he asked if everything looked okay, and they said that you should be fine. <laughs> that was it. Then it was they, I, it was a forgotten thing. I don't so. really – I just don't get it because we know the series is all about performance, and one tiny thing in the car that changes affects the performance, but – I guess not for Max Verstappen in the the Red Bull 19 edition because it made him better somehow. So I don't know. Perplexing. Yeah. So he Max takes the lead back with 13 to go. Um, but there's 
heavy, heavy racing going on in the top three uh, with with lap 43. Leclerc fully locks up the brakes, almost puts the car into the wall. Yeah. Um, that tells you how hard he was driving the car. Yeah. He, I, it, I he thought wanted for sure. Thing. Well, that another two feet in that incident and he would have been done. <laughs> so yeah. it was a miracle that he, he dodged that portion of the barrier. And, uh, lap 47 Hulkenberg. I have a note here that he, he's out. I don't know if that was a mechanical failure or what, but they didn't even talk about it. Yeah. Um, Haas. and then basically last lap, you know, Perez and Leclerc, just ultimate battle. Yeah. Uh, a great, amazing, battle. amazing battle back and forth all the way to the checkered flag, literally to the checkered flag. Mm-hmm. And they don't ever show, um, like still, like in a lot of series, yeah. they'll show like the a still, still shot at, yeah. at the, the line. These, those cars must've been inches apart yeah. from each other. Um, and this is the second time Perez in like three or four weeks has been out at the end by a driver. So I really don't think he's that good to be honest. Uh, he's, He's good enough uh, to be the number two at Red Bull, but I think a lot of guys are, to be honest. Well, it, there's a fine line between, you know, what it takes. <laughs> as close as those guys were, were pushing at the end of that race, it could have ended very badly. And we've seen it end badly before when mm-hmm. just, a, you know, you take an inch too far and then both guys are gone. Yeah. They take each other out which didn't happen, but it was a spectacular finish. Uh, looking back on the season, it was the best race of the year. We'll see what Abu Dhabi has. Um, we could talk briefly about there already. We're into that week. I was surprised. I thought there'd be a week off in between this and Abu Dhabi, but it's getting alerts yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, practice already this morning. So, Yeah, I was, I was watching FP1 because it was – chock full of rookies or uh reserve drivers i guess would be the better and got to watch pato award of indycar fame uh pilot the mclaren which was interesting i think he was like 15th but who cares (laughs) yeah there was a bunch of of guys young guys that were running that i i didn't get to see it i'm sure i can watch highlights to see where everybody finished but Mm -hmm. any anybody stood out at all of that group of of younger guys yeah uh so there were there there's a pretty clear divide from what i could tell of guys that are just reserve drivers or in the system and guys who are gunning for f1 seats um one of those and i'm i'm just trying to look up the uh here we go Results. So Felipe Drugovich, which I don't know, we've heard that name a few times. Reserve driver for Aston Martin. He won uh, F2 in 2022. He finished second ahead of guys like Ricardo, Bottas, Stroll, his teammate, uh, Piastri. Um, I think he's a guy that probably needs a seat, but he's stuck behind Daddy Stroll's team. So. <laughs> That probably won't be happening. They're not going to get rid of Alonzo. Mm-hmm. Um, 
some other guys. They were all pretty much near the end, but uh, Teo Porsche, he he's a big name in F2. Um, Jack Doolin. Uh, and then Haas was running uh, Oliver Behrman, who's in the like the Ferrari driving academy. So there were definitely some interesting talents. And then there were a few guys that were probably never, ever going to sniff an F1 seat. But it's always cool to see different guys behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. So, interestingly enough, in the driver standings, we do have a dead heat for, I guess, what you would consider fourth place. Mm-hmm. Sainz and Alonso are tied at 200. So, for those two, and for everyone watching Abu Dhabi, maybe keep your eyes on those two guys and where they finish, because one's going to beat the other <laughs> one way or, or, yeah. or another. Uh, Lando Norris is 195, so... Still. Maybe there's three guys in the, in the hunt for that. Who's behind Norris? Because I think he's still Le- close enough. Leclerc at 188. I mean, you never really know. So <laughs> at least at least it'll if if nothing else, pay attention to the drivers' standings between. Um, I just lost my screen. Alonso, oh, Sainz, yeah, Sainz, Alonso, Norris, Norris, and Leclerc. Yeah. Um see if there's anything interesting towards the bottom of that. Uh, Ocon and Gasly are just four points apart, but they'll likely not score four points. <laughs> they might. I don't know. What? Tenth is one, right? Yeah. And then it, it's when like when do you get to two points? Ninth. Not, oh, okay, so it goes... All, eighth, eighth is like four. Okay. I don't know. Exa- I know it's like 25 yeah. win, 18. I need to, I need to brush up on... On that a little bit but anyhow so that's at least there's something to watch um besides max drive away this weekend and then uh, i guess the the big one where that pays all the big bucks is mercedes versus ferrari they're only four points behind or separated ferrari oh, for constructors yeah yeah ferrari's four points behind mercedes i think 392 for mercedes 388 for yeah so that ferrari. should be interesting you would I would kind of favor Ferrari in that one based off of recent form. Yeah. Um, we'll do, at some point, we'll revisit our predictions. We did it mid-season. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have the list. Um, looking at constructor standings, that's really the only possible change-up would be between Mercedes and Ferrari, and it's a four-point gig. So um, everybody else is... <laughs> They're gonna finish where they're where they're at, basically. Which sadly for Haas is in Ten. last. <laughs> there is they, they were trying to hype up a battle between Alphatari and Williams in practice. Seven points. I mean, that's not. Un, that's it's not. not un, yeah, yeah. Alphatari has been racing better than Williams recently, but we'll close close the season out obviously next week at some point. We'll just kind of. Do a little bit of a dive in where everybody finished. We'll talk about predictions that we made at the beginning of the year. And then just as a little preview for off season, I think uh, at your suggestion, which was a good one. Um, and I don't know that we'll do it every week because that might be tedious. But yeah, we don't need to. We're going to go into the archives and uh, revisit some GPs from uh, yesteryear. Yeah. With the. Uh, the app 
um, you have basically access to the entire catalog of F1 televised events going back to, you said it's, it's pretty far back. It's but. pretty much reliable through the mid-90s, okay. like every race. And It'd then, be interesting to see what, like, maybe see what, uh, was it James? Um, I can't remember the guy's name. The guy that drove for Hesketh Racing, um, I just watched the movie. The two guys they battled each other for oh, uh, Nikki Lauda, Nikki Lauda, and James and James Hunt, Hunt. Yeah, I think that was seventy five, six, and seven. So that would be, it. except the 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 bad crash. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. So anyhow, we're gonna we're gonna do that in the off season. Talk about some historical stuff. Probably look to any news that might. Uh, change 2024 mm-hmm. and then uh you know get into soccer a little bit more yeah we'll we'll definitely be having a much closer eye as the holiday season is huge in soccer uh especially in europe where they they play uh, a lot so we'll definitely be kind of keeping our eyes close to the ground there uh as things really heat up uh, in soccer, so, you know, if you were upset uh, in the lack of coverage this week, there, well, there wasn't that much going on, so sorry, but um, the U.S. did punch their ticket officially to the Copa America tournament next summer, so I guess that's good, <laughs> um, but uh, other than that, pretty slow going until uh, tomorrow, actually, so. Okay, so last race of the year, hard to believe. This is the 23rd? twenty. Well, 22nd actually run. Okay. Because Imola was rained out. So 20, 20, 22 races, um, you know, it was, a, it was a fun year to watch. It was <laughs> mildly entertaining. I know a lot of... It was of, the best of times. It was the worst of times. Well, we have some family that listened to this particular podcast uh dad um who can't figure out why anybody cares <laughs> or would care to to watch the same guy win um all of the most of the races um but the, so goes f1 and mm-hmm. it's with great hope that you you may have to wait four five six years for the unseating but he will be unseated at some point same thing with before we got into this, people hated Hamilton mm-hmm. because it was he was so dominant, and actually people loved Max Verstappen, yeah, because he unseated Lewis Hamilton. Now everybody's like, well, okay, that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> fact of the matter is, is that there will not, there may not be another driver that's that is of this caliber. Um, we'll have to wait and see. There may not ever be another time in F1 where a team has such a stronghold on mm-hmm. the regulation and the rules to build a car such as Red Bull has done. And that's what it comes down to. You could put any one of these 22 drivers in that Red Bull and they would improve their position by tenfold. Oh, yeah. Um, the car is the star. 
Now, with that being said, you have to be able to get everything out of the car performance wise. And clearly Max can do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyhow, Abu Dhabi. So we've already had two practices as of this broadcast, uh, P3 tomorrow at 5:30 uh, Eastern Standard Time, qualifying at 0900 tomorrow, and then the race is Sunday. Would that be Sunday? It would, it's Sunday. I think it's 8 0800. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll get. We're going to be watching uh, Ohio State, Michigan on Saturday here, and then some festivities after that. So. Uh-huh. Not likely that I'll be up at 8 a.m. on Sunday. I don't know. I guess we'll have to see how that all goes. But uh, yeah, can real... I? Uh... Oh, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, it's not. E- it's not F1 relevant. So I'll say. Well, we'll talk. Uh, obviously, right at the end of this, we can speak of. <laughs> Are you speaking of the game? Yeah, I just yeah. wanted maybe a little cheeky prediction. Okay. Oh well, yeah. Uh, Yaz Marina Circuit. Interesting looking track, actually. Um, some very long straights, two very long straights, it looks like. Yeah, it's high speed. Uh, even just an FP1, we were looking at 200 on that mm-hmm. back straight. Uh, a lot of good tight corners, so it, is, it, it, it makes for interesting racing. It's a pretty short lap, too, if I'm not mistaken. They were clocking 120s, so... Yeah, it's uh it's five point two kilometers, so um kind of mid, I guess, mid tier. It's fifty eight laps. Two thousand nine was the first race. Um, Who has the lap record? Hamilton or Bottas? Uh Verstappen. Twenty 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 one. A one twenty six and change. Okay. Um apparently it's on an island. Yeah. Uh two thousand six they started planning to build the track. It was completed 2009 uh let's see red bull sebastian vettel won the first race mark weber was his teammate Mm -hmm. in 2009 and already crowned champion jensen button yeah Uh, so though that that would probably be an interesting time frame to catch a race back when vettel was racing for red watched a couple races from that season uh and Button was sort of Verstappen-esque, where he was really dominating, but there was a lot of interesting stuff going on behind that too. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, apparently when they when they decided to build this track seventeen years ago, <laughs> this island was there was nothing on it. Um, interesting. Eleven years. I don't know why they say 11 years. $40 billion later, they've finished seven hotels. Ferrari has an indoor theme park. There's a mall, a water park, a golf course, a beach, a concert arena. Now that you say that, I was yeah. wondering, There's a you can see it on the broadcast when I was watching it this morning. There's a giant building that just has the prancing horse over it, and I was like, what the hell is that? Well, yeah, it must Ferrari be theme park. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. That's must be crazy, huh? Yeah. So anyhow, there you go. Abu Dhabi coming up this weekend and then uh big game tomorrow football wise here for Studio 2520. If you didn't already know, 
There are no Buckeye fans you know, in this particular uh, region, <laughs> somewhere near Akron, Ohio. Um, we are Michigan fans here at Studio 2520, have been uh, for quite some time. So um, we shall be rooting for the Wolverines versus the Buckeyes. If we can pull this off, it'll be three in a row unprecedented for me in my life well and at that point it's you know the buckeye fans can just stuff a sock in it for for once you know it it was always well you only beat us once you know it's not even a contest anymore and blah 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 and then all of a sudden when we're looking at a possible third (laughs) third victory um i don't know it's just i i will say this I do not watch college football with the intent and zeal that I once did. Yeah. Um, and I, d- I don't, this rival doesn't, I, oh, I love watching the game with you and, and obviously, you know, we have a good time with it, but I don't, you know, I don't take it to heart like I did Yeah. <laughs> years ago. It just seems silly to me anymore. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, you know, being a Michigan fan for 20 years in the the depths of Buckeye country is hardens you a little bit. So I told you the other day, it's like, always expect the worst. You'll never be disappointed with this game, uh, but it makes winning that much better. So I don't know. Uh, I, of course, now I live in the city of Ohio State. So well, it's, yeah. it's it's intense. I haven't made my Michigan fandom known to anyone outside of my friends. So, you know, like I have a job down there. I go to school. Uh, if you don't know me personally, you probably don't know that unless maybe you see like what I post on social media. But uh, I think it's just better that way. Yeah, listen, <laughs> I, I've gotten to the point where I used to, break out all the gear and and uh <clears throat> i just got so tired of of how just generally rude and angry and hillbillyish the yeah. buckeye fans can be and i just didn't want to deal with it anymore i mean you literally you quite literally couldn't wear a hoodie out in public mm-hmm. which seems ridiculous to me i understand yeah. rivalries and all but the whole premise of of not being able to, to say the name of the team and yeah. striking out M's <laughs> on everything, it's like, okay. That's too much it's for me. It's way too much. It's we, like, come on, guys. Luckily, I, you know, with my friends down there, I think most of them are pretty, uh, they're not falling in the delusional category. And I think, you know, you can talk about both teams and, you know, they'll say, hey, like, you know, Ohio State uh, isn't looking so good or Michigan looks good or, you know, whatever. Michigan doesn't look good. And it's just that's it. You know, you can just talk about the game and the two teams and be civil about it. Um, th- with that being said, I will not be – I will be powering down the cell phone for the entire game <laughs> because one way or another, I don't really want to respond to texts. <laughs> until the end and then you know we'll yeah see. so not that this has any bearing and people probably could care less but 
my regional sales office corporately is is in Plymouth, Michigan, which is 40 minutes west of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got 28 or so people out of that office. Like six or eight are in Ohio, <laughs> which is kind of odd. But, um, yeah, so the banter between the two factions is, is pretty strong this time of year between the two games uh, or the between this time and the, when the game happens. But, yeah. Always funny to see the fairweather Buckeye fans who don't watch football or sports or anything, but all of a sudden they are uh, do or die. Yeah. You know, so anyhow, enough of that. Yeah. Well, figured we'd at least mention it because it's sort of a cultural event here in the Midwest. But uh, Right. So looking forward to that. And then um, I guess we'll get together next week after – all this is all done and finished and wrap wrap up the put a bow on the season i guess yeah all right well in that case probably head out here all right let's i guess we can get going if you're ready ready Four executive producers, Richard Tanaka. And I guess we'll give Doug Skeen a shout-out. This has been Tackling the Chicane, copyright 2023, Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio. We will see you next time. Go Blue! Go Blue!